This is episode three, Run Amuck with Rex and Chuck. I got Chuck over here. Sup, sup. And we got Nate, producer Nate the Great. Hey, hey. And we're going to be talking about movies tonight. Three non artists have come together Excuse to discuss. You. Oh my God, I totally forgot. <laughs> you are that was rude. kind of an artist. Oh. I shouldn't even say kind of. I'm because... editing that whole thing out. That's right. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so <laughs> one non artist and two talented artists have come together. Oh no, I wouldn't put myself that far. <laughs> to discuss art. <laughs> But thank you. Awesome. <laughs> we'll take it. Now, I'll yeah. leave it to you to guess who the non-artist is. <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah. who it could be. Uh, so I kind of wanted to just maybe open up with what are our favorite movies? I think we can get into that yeah. first. And I'm really glad that we're going here this week because, you know, for two weeks in a row, and I mean, it is part of the purpose of this show. Two weeks in a row, we did these really, you know, heavy uh, spiritual, churchy sort of subjects, right? We did all this theological heavy lifting and all this personal opening up. And not that there's going to be none of that tonight, but it is a chance for us to get together and talk about something just a little bit more fun. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the questions I asked the first time we got together is what makes a movie good? What's a good movie in yeah. your mind? Yeah. And we're going to sort of return to that question to start off, but we're going to expand it a little bit. Because we're not just here to talk about movies. All the movies are awesome. But what makes art good to you? What What is good art, Rex? It's, you're it, an artist, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, well... A respected, valued artist. So what makes art good? Now I feel like I'm full of myself. That's right. Uh, no, what... what it's going to come out in our answers, I think, is we're going to have actually three very distinct perspectives of what makes a good movie. We're not going to have... Um, a definitive answer that everybody should just rally to. We're going to just be open and honest with what we like. And saying that, uh, I, uh, you've mentioned that we've talked about this before, but we didn't actually, that didn't make it into the final cuts. Um, if you're going back and watching the live casting, you'll, you'll probably hear the, that question from the first episode. But uh, I had taken us to science fiction. I mean, that's, that's for me, that's my love when it comes to movies. I've always really been drawn into the sci-fi side of things. And I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I grew up, well, really, I grew up probably the first real major science fiction series was Star Wars for mm-hmm. me. Um, being able to pull out my dad's VHS tapes, because he owned them. And I think I probably watched Return of the Jedi, like, 30, 40 times, like way too many times. Um, and the others, of course. But as a kid, Return of the Jedi was just was just so cool because you got to see Luke come back yeah. and just, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you you probably remember this, but, but that's sort of in my biography too because as we were both growing up, the classics had been remastered and were being re-released in theaters. So I actually had, you know, even though it was decades after the original premiered, I actually had a chance to go into the theater and watch A New Hope and Empire Mm -hmm. Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So coming up, I was also fascinated with Star Wars. Well, I didn't get to do that. I should have. I should have. But I I missed. I was too. I was was young enough that when episode one came out, it was still fun for me. Oh, I didn't watch it and go, God, this sucks. (laughs) No, I, I, I was actually really into the first the well the the one two and three trilogy 
as a kid, I didn't care about like the weird like political viewpoints that people were coming up with. Like, why did Jar Jar have to sound like that? And oh god, all those yeah, those weird kind of opinions that really had nothing to do with. I just want to enjoy a movie. And going back and rewatching them, one and two are a little rough. Uh, I really enjoy towards the end of um, one though where. Uh, the whole Darth Maul scene where him and uh, mm. Obi-Wan were just duking it out. And Qui-Gon. Uh, this is a level of nerdiness that few can ascertain in That's life. That's okay. <laughs> if we, you know, eventually, because we're talking about art, this uh, conversation is going to lead us into professional wrestling. Oh, and of course that it is will. where I will take yeah, that's, us that's your... to an even deeper dungeon, and we're going to hang out there for a while. <laughs> I am not looking forward to that. <laughs> so but so yeah star wars was probably where i first kind of got hooked on on the sci-fi thing and, and that was okay because as a kid it was it was like a gateway drug <laughs> into what really became what is now my favorite which is actually sci-fi horror um what my, what particular films fall under that because that would be like a sub genre like sci-fi yeah, horror yeah like, alien Seems yes. like that fits. Yes. Alien is one of my favorites. Alien, The whole four movies and and the Aliens versus Predator movies, all of that. Um, the Predator movies also. Um, movies like Event Horizon. Why? Oh, Event yes. Horizon. Yes. <laughs> Underrated classic. Yes. It is, right? We can it's all agree Morpheus. on this. <laughs> and Dr. Right. Grant. Lawrence yeah. Fishburne. From the original Jurassic yeah. Park. Jurassic I have no Park idea what that also... actor's name is. Right. But... Oh. It's okay. Knows. We Sam don't have Neil? to remember. But Sam Dr. Neil. Grant. Yeah. Sam Neill. Oh, okay. You got it. Producer yeah. Nate on it. That's why we <laughs> bam the big That's box. why he's here. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so that those movies, man, Any anything that falls in those genres. When Netflix came out and started making theirs... Um, they've got a whole collection selection of movies now too that fall in that genre. Um, there's another one called Europa Report that I think is on Netflix that I really liked. I'm not sure if it was a Netflix movie or not. I guess I like a lot of space movies. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just really am fascinated with space as a thing. Are you are you into uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Uh, no. As well, smart he's as, like a space guy. Yeah, as smart as he is. Just the way he talks, I almost feel like he's he's, he's a very little too arrogant. into himself. Yes. Yeah. And one one feeling I always had listening to him, because he would sort of put out these challenges to religious and spiritual people mm-hmm. to, you know, you need to break out of that if you want to sit at the table with real scientists, real free yeah, thinkers. Yeah, just kind you know? of a bit of a down But he also had this unwillingness to sort of come out of the ivory tower of the scientific academic world and really try to speak to those people. Yeah. So it's as if he is standing in this one realm demanding that people come into it. Yeah. But then not offering any pathways to get there. That's I think the big difference between like him and Carl Sagan. Okay. Carl Sagan is like a scientific mystic. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if that name means I used anything to, to Yeah, me. no, I used to watch a lot of that kind of stuff too. Um those documentaries on on like PBS, definitely. And I, I did have a phase where I was just super into the solar system and, and then learning about our universe. And 
that's kind of always been there for me. So I definitely think that that has a stronghold on, on my movie tastes. Now, I will say, Amanda just reminded me of possibly the greatest TV show ever made called The Expanse. It is so good. And for anybody who isn't watching it, you should. It's on Amazon Prime. Go get Prime if you don't have it and start watching The Expanse. Uh, I think they've got three seasons down. They're going to launch season four in like December. It's really good. Okay. Now, you said greatest TV show of all time. I did. Right? Uh-huh. So this is going to help us get back to where we started. What makes it great? What makes this particular show great? One of the things is it definitely has really good characters. Um, they have this cast of characters that are just so relatable and so unique. Um, they did a really good job with the writing on that. Um, they also have a level of detail to what space travel might be like in the not so distant future, a realistic take on what it could be, what it could look like for us as a human race trying to get off of earth. Um, in the show, they've colonized the moon, they've colonized Mars and they've colonized a bunch of the outer, um, like, uh, what is that called? Outer rim? No, the, like, like the Jupiter area they've got, yeah, so it's it's interesting, but they're they've got like this, like trio of um, factions mm. that are just kind of all at war. They've got Earth, you know, Earthers. Hey, we're here. We've always been here. We're the best. We're the primo human beings. Then you got Mars, and they're the Martians. You know, they're still human, obviously, but um, they've grown up on one third the gravity of Earth, um, so that does play into this their their physical builds. Um, but uh, and also because they're out there, their technology is better. So they, yeah, weren't uh, the Martians like super jacked? Wasn't that part of the show? Well, no, that was the the Martian Marines. Oh, okay. Like they were they were specifically Marines, so that makes sense. But we have space Marines. Yes, I might so, be interested. Yes, they're space Marines, so you should watch it. Um, and then there's the belt, which is this this third faction of people that actually have like they grow up out in like the asteroid belt area, where there's a lot of mining going on. Um, so they're they're almost entirely in zero g, and that has a drastic effect on their physiology, and just all the the different challenges of of having to live out in space. Basically, they're a little bit I would say oppressed by Earth and Mars trying to control the the resources that they get from the belt. It's it's just a really interesting story. I'm probably talking about it way too much, but I definitely agree that you guys should uh, get into it if you aren't. It's a really fascinating show. And again, the characters as well. So you've got this really strong, well-done, scientific background. I think even um, one of the producers is a literal rocket scientist. So like they really do have the science behind what they're doing uh, in the books and then in the show. And there is also a book series. Um, I think they're on book eight of nine. I think there's one more to come. So, yeah. Weren't there also space Mormons? Yes, the Mormons. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they're not the only religious entity in the show, but they are prominent because they contracted with this belt belter company to make a mega ship 
and their goal was to basically just like go into cryo sleep or whatever and or i don't even know for sure but but then to just shoot themselves out at like the nearest star that they think had a habitable planet like they're going to recolonize on a whole new world and it was like their mormon calling that they were going to go and like have their own planet well, the prophet said it was going to happen, and so they blindly followed yeah, him. it was something along those lines. They spent a lot of money on it, and I'm not going to spoil what happens, but it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Please tell me it's like a new Salt Lake I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you must watch the show. You have to watch show. the show. And there's a whole other side to it that I haven't even touched, and I'm not going to touch that because you'll find if you do watch it, season one has... It's almost a detective noir meets space horror, actually. So it's got those nuances to it as well, and it, it's really good. Right. So what makes it great, then, is the well-developed story, the clear, probably, I'd say clear character motivations, um, and the well-rounded characters, right? So yeah. I know you were concerned about talking about it too much. Don't worry too much about that. But you were able to talk about it so much because there is so much to say. Yes. Uh, there is so much there that's been well-developed. That is also one thing I I look for in any movie or TV show that I would consider to be great. And when I say great, I mean great. This is not the hall of very good movies. <laughs> this is the hall of great movies that we're trying to talk about here. So. All right. Give us your top three. Top three. Darkest Hour which is a historical drama about Winston Churchill in World War II. Now, I, I see some chuckling there, but the story is so rich with actual drama because you have to remember, this is a guy who becomes prime minister of a country that appeared to be on a path of surrender, and the rest of Europe is giving themselves over to the Nazis to save their own lives. And he has to stand before his people and say, fighting evil, fighting this evil in particular, is worth all of us dying, if that's what it leads to. It is worth our last drop of English blood, if that's what has to happen. Mm -hmm. And we will fight. And that's the story that it tells, is, is Winston Churchill working up the courage and trying to get the public support to take this position that, yes, we are going to fight the Nazis, even if it means giving up every last life on this island. So that's an incredible movie. Um, one, because the storytelling is so good, yeah. but also the pacing of it is perfect. The casting is spot on. So I couldn't even tell the first time I saw it who it is playing Winston Churchill. Who was it? Well, now I can't remember his name. <laughs> but... Uh, Nate will look it up for us. But when I found out who it is and I went and saw it a second time, I went, okay, I guess I can kind of see it. But that's how amazing of a job he does. Oh, Gary Oldman. Oh, that's who it is. I like so, him. same guy who plays Commissioner Gordon in yeah. Batman, which is the only movie I can think of that he's oh, in. But he's in no, a ton of movies. He was in The Fifth Element. He's in The Fifth Element. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a ton of stuff. So, he has the lead role as Winston Churchill and does such an amazing job that the first time I saw it, and someone, I think I saw it in the credits that it said, that's Gary Oldman. I just went, no. I like Gary no Oldman. No way, that's Gary Oldman. I like Gary Oldman so much that now I might actually watch the movie. Yeah, it's an incredible film. Everything you've said has not sold it to me. Yeah. But 
mentioning Gary Oldman now, I might watch it. So I don't know if that's number one, but that's in the top three. The visual storytelling, also really good. So for a movie that is so driven by dialogue and progression of scenes, it does also a really good job of telling the story just through pictures, which is kind of a different or difficult story to tell through pictures because it's not really a war story, right? It's not saving private Ryan. It's a political drama, but the pictures do a good enough job that you could watch several parts of it on mute and follow what's happening, Hmm. um, which is a sign of good visual storytelling, which leads me into one of the other top threes, uh, the 2009, maybe 2010 version of true grit uh, not the John Wayne version. Honestly, I've never been that into the Duke. Apologies to all of our fans of old school westerns out there, but um, you just made a lot of enemies. I'm sure I did. Twenty ten. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The 2010 version of True Grit is probably the best movie I've ever seen in terms of just the visual storytelling. Yeah, you could watch that entire movie on mute and figure out what's happening. You might not know the relationships of all the characters, uh-huh. but it does a, such an amazing job of telling the story through pictures that you would know more or less what the plot is, even if you had no sound. Um, but thankfully, there is sound, and because there's sound, you can actually tell how incredible the casting in that movie is as well. Matt Damon, which was kind of a surprising pick for a Western at first, plays this over-the-top, obnoxious Texas Ranger really? who is so full of himself that at times it's actually uncomfortable to watch him, but it's, he does it so well. Labeef is the character's name, by the way. So on top of all that, he has this ridiculous sounding name, but he does a perfect job. Uh, the girl that they got to play the, the lead young girl in that movie, who I think now is like a pop singer. She was a nobody before true grit. This was her first big role. And they found her, I think in an open casting call. And she nails it. Every single person in that movie is exactly in the role they're supposed to be in. And and it's just and it's a beautiful story too. It really is it really is an emotional ride watching True Grit. And I love that movie. I've seen it probably twenty times. And I would watch it really? again. I'd watch it right now. And yeah. I'd love every single minute of it. I might have to watch that one too. Yeah. Um if you just are just out of respect for you, I might have to watch your talk. Oh well three. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um and maybe then, not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow. But soon and for the rest of your life. The last of the top three, well, it would have to be Lincoln. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Lincoln, it's just an incredible... That's another movie where it's just... It is so perfectly casted. It is Daniel Day-Lewis at the height of his powers. Uh, Probably the best work he did his entire career, which is a career that includes, by the way, movies like My Left Foot. Yeah. other ones that he's famous for, I'm sure, <laughs> but none that I really cared about until I saw him as Abraham Lincoln, um, you know, judged against the portraits that we actually have of the late great president. He looks somewhat like Abraham Lincoln under whatever prosthetics or makeup he was wearing. Mm-hmm. The voice is almost spot on he, and just the dramatic pacing of that movie. It's another movie that's a political drama, so it is really reliant on the dialogue. Yeah, but it is just executed so perfectly. So you're describing you're describing your movies in a in a way in a level of detail to what you keep saying like a perfection of the way that it was screened. Uh, Yeah, 
you have a very different approach to your movie Well, I mean, that going. stuff is important to me. I think storyboarding a movie is really important. The pacing of a movie is really important. Is there a clear progression from Act 1 to Act 2 to Act 3, or if it's a five-act structure between all five? Are there clear character arcs that are taking you from beginning to end, that are taking you on a journey that you want to be on? Let me ask you, do you ever put yourself in like the role of a character? Well, it depends on the movie. Uh, if I watch Die Hard, yeah. you know, it's easy to watch that and go like, yeah, John McClane's awesome. I'll bet you I'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, see, that that feeling, I think, is part of what I really get out of movies. So I don't sit down and enjoy a movie, maybe, I haven't seen it yet, like Lincoln, because I don't feel like I can really just put myself in that position and really try to experience that role. Well, here's- But I do that in like, even these like sci-fi horror movies, yeah. like, I put myself in that position. Well, try this, though, right? Because to us, living in 2019, the United States during the Civil War feels like an entirely different world. <laughs> in a wor- It's a world where slavery is still in existence and popular. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> you're, this, you're trying so hard. No, I, it, but I shouldn't have to, right? Because it should tear your freaking mind apart. That within, within 90 years of the country being founded, it split apart and went to war with itself. And it survived that, largely because of the leadership of this president. Mm-hmm. And that movie captures some of that story. It, it, it is, I mean, America in the 1860s is essentially another world. From where we live now. Can you imagine the U.S. going to war against itself in 2019? A little bit. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're in California, so... Can you imagine uh, a version of the United States where institutionalized chattel slavery is real? Uh, It's it's like an alien world. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I would probably like the movie, but it would just never be in my top all-time list yeah i would never really i I mean mean, okay it it sounds it sounds like we're disagreeing but at the same time we're really not because i understand i think where you're trying to go right that part of the appeal of a movie is that ability to sort of live in it or at least find yourself in it Mm -hmm. to to be in that world for a couple of hours and away from this one Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if i look for that in a movie maybe i do in a different way. I feel like I feel like for you what you get out of movies sometimes is a sense of like that was factual. That happened. Wow. Like I think for you it's part you get of that. A, a big part of it of it being a factual thing. But I guess my approach to it as an audience member is you are telling me a story. And you're telling me a story through pictures and through dialogue and through the actors who you pick to be these characters. And don't forget music. And don't forget music, which is also a great part of True Grit in that it has none. Actually, okay. that was one of the complaints is that be weird. the soundtrack is almost non-existent. Huh. But it helps with the pacing of the movie, believe it or not. Okay. But you are telling me a story. And as an audience member, the way you tell it and the story itself really has to be worth it for me to commit the time and money to listening to it. Yeah. And a, to- a story poorly told to me, is just a bad movie. 
regardless really of how well they might flesh out the world very well using all kinds of vivid pictures and all the latest and greatest technology this is how i felt about avatar is they built this world out that was beautiful and gorgeous and and I do have a lot of respect for that ability to take something from pure imagination. Oh, you're insulting my man, James Cameron, right now. A little bit, but I do respect that ability to take something from pure imagination and storyboard it and then make those pictures move and come alive. I've never been into anime, all apologies to One Punch Man, but I do <laughs> love I do love those Miyazaki films. I don't oh, okay. necessarily love the storytelling, but... There are so many moving parts of those pictures. You're talking about world building is what we call it. Yeah. There are so many moving parts of those pictures, and it is so imaginative and so kinetic when you watch it that I can't help but want to see more of it. Uh-huh. Right? But then I saw Avatar, and it had all of that working for it. it. had all the technology in the world, had the biggest and greatest budget. They did everything they could to take this world out of the realm of imagination and make it seem real. They even made it in 3D. That movie single-handedly, I think, popularized 3D up until this point. But yeah. the storytelling just fell apart for me so bad. Really? Yeah. You didn't like the Pocahontas recap? Not really. <laughs> and and it's not because it was predictable, because even if a story is predictable, it can still be told really well. Uh-huh. Like, I just went and saw this other movie, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon, and we'll get there. And the story was predictable enough, but it was told so well and acted so well uh-huh. that I couldn't help but love every single minute of it. Okay. Uh, I guess that was the disconnect with Avatar. Is I didn't feel like the story was told at a very good pace, and it did become very predictable, and the acting was not there to really make up for it. Can you even remember who the lead actor of Avatar is? Uh, Sam Worthington. Shut yes. up. No, you can't. And Zoe Saldana? Yes. Now, I only remember Sam Worthington because I've liked some of his other films. Same for Zoe Saldana. So it's not really... Because I've only seen Avatar maybe once or twice. And it didn't stick with I saw didn't it like four me. times in the theater. <laughs> just to say, well, I really like I just that want movie. you to know, I was not targeting Avatar. That was just the best example I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah, it yeah. is a good example. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move forward. We've got so much to talk about. We do. I feel like. Yeah. Uh, So you as an audience member, you like a world that you can escape to. Yeah. I like like to be told the story. And I like it when a movie tells me the story very well. Yeah. Yeah. Are we interested in my top three at all? Yeah, let's go. So um, I just watched two of them. So they're fresh in my mind. Um, Forrest Gump, Gladiator, and the remake of Ocean's Eleven uh, from this decade or last decade. The remake with, what's his name? George Clooney, yeah. Brad Pitt, etc. All yeah. those guys. That had a good cast. Yeah, cast I, that See, now that's one of the movies that isn't necessarily sci-fi fantasy at all, but I still actually really enjoyed those ones. It, they the, are fun. The series. I like, I like because they did like yeah, three, right? all of them are good. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff I can get into. I can get into like crime, heists, that kind of stuff. Amanda is, is particularly interested in like mob mafia kind of stuff so i'll watch a lot of those with her and i actually find that i enjoy those pretty well gladiator is one of the few movies that even though i really liked it i did feel like it was long it is a little long but 
it's worth it in my opinion. Yeah. I, I was, mean, it's a good story. I was halfway into gladiator until it became the theme for like a thousand different Christian male activities. Yeah. And then I just was very over it. Yeah, yeah. That's not necessarily its fault, but I, I understand what you're saying. It gets overplayed <laughs> yeah. fast. Funny enough. Uh, so you mentioned like mob stuff. I would contend I, and a lot of others, this is not a unique opinion. Uh, the Sopranos probably the best TV show ever made. Sopranos. You got it's on Amazon Prime. You're not alone. Like all I the HBO either. stuff, it like all the HBO stuff. It's on Amazon Prime. You really should check it out, okay. especially if a man is into mob stuff. Don't get me wrong. There's some scenes where you're going to want to turn the other way. And if anybody in the audience is considering watching it, make sure everybody in the room is over 17 and mature in their faith. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but as far as the casting plot development character arcs and remember this is over a number of seasons it is down to the last grain of film perfect dead on perfect as far as the storytelling goes wouldn't change a single thing about it it is at the same time and the funny thing is it actually started it was supposed to be this like over the top comedy no. about how mob families are represented mm-hmm. and then it grew into this very heavy Um, But also at times really, really funny Mm. drama about the main character sort of being torn between two families and how are you a mob boss and also a dad to two kids and all all this other stuff, right? Um, But yeah, probably one of the best shows ever made. Yeah. What was your top pick again? Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's amazing. Yeah. That, I think everybody can agree, was an adventure of a movie. It goes through so many different, like, not scenes, but like, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, settings. Like, yeah. yeah. There's a know, lot of a different chapters to that story. If right. you were yeah. to sit down, like, if you were to sit down with Forrest Gump the book, and for all I know, there is a book. It is, yeah. Okay. Uh, it would almost be like Huck Finn, where there's like 40 oh, or 50 yeah. chapters, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many different moving parts of that story that come together to make it all. Now, Forrest Gump reminds me of another film. Let me ask if you've ever seen uh, Big Fish. No. Oh, that's a fan. Have you ever seen Big Fish? I know what the like cover looks like, but no, I haven't seen that it. That was another fantastic one. Guys, Isn't it like a tree? Well, that is, that's the cover <laughs> picture, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Guy's dad is passing away. His dad has always had... His dad was a storyteller. And he's always had yeah. these huge, over-the-top stories. And his son goes his whole life... You know, when he's young, he believes him, he gets older, he goes, all right, a lot of that was clearly made up. And I don't feel like I really know my dad because I can't separate what's over the top storytelling from what's true, right? That's why it's called Big Fish, Mm because when you tell a story about the fishing trip you went on, you caught a fish this big. But he goes trying to research his dad's history and finds out there's a lot of truth mixed in with all these crazy fantasy stories he was telling. And it really is, that's another movie that is paced extremely well, casted pretty well. I won't say it's perfect. Um, and it tells a coherent story with a beautiful arc mm-hmm. in a good enough in a good economy of time. Doesn't waste your time. I think that's one of the biggest complaints I have about modern movies is that they feel like, or I feel like when I'm watching them, they waste so much of my time. Oh yes. <laughs> so a perfect example of that is Avengers. Um, well, <laughs> so we're both Rex and I are both Marvel fans, but um, we'll we'll let that slide. I was going to say. Uh, the recent Transformers movies are oh. just awful about that. I mean, yeah. just terrible, wasting so much time. I still yeah, think just, I watched. I still think I watched like four of them, but I kind of felt. I, I don't know. Maybe because I wasn't really into the show as a kid, 
or into the toys or anything. Well, I wasn't either. I, I didn't really get hooked on them. I still watched them because I'm just I'm a movie person. Yeah. But, Let me just throw this out there to the audience. If there's any movies you want critiqued live on the show, go ahead and drop a comment <laughs> well, we'll in the live actually, feed. We got, oh, yes. Uh, that would Corey be fun. actually said her top three are The Jerk. Oh, The Jerk. Young, <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein is amazing. And then I actually agree with this. This is up there. The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. She one loves the, to laugh. One of the best animated movies ever made. Yeah. All come on, Ch- come those, on, those Chuck. Good. Don't give me that face. Those it's are good choices. Good. Uh, I'm gonna have to softly hit my disagree button. Oh, you don't. I mean, get you're talking about the button. top three movies that you've ever seen. No, I'm not saying it's my top three. No, I know that, but that is part of someone's top three. It's part of your wife's I, top three. I know. Uh, <laughs> you're no, like, not anymore. I, I'm gonna disagree. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna say I disagree on the Emperor's New. The, the other two are solid. I mean, those For are sure. incredible comedies that have stood the test of time. Steve Martin carries the jerk. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yeah, but the awkwardness that he can portray is a level of Yeah, and that's him at the uncomfortableness. That's him at the height of his powers before the Pink Panther and all these family comedies ruined him. Uh Young Frankenstein. Oh my gosh. Another perfectly casted movie yeah. that uh, does tell its story with a good pace and and and, and the characters for a, a slapstick comedy are actually pretty well fleshed out. Like there is a real drama that's being told with young Frankenstein having to own the identity of his family and not wanting to repeat the mistakes of his father, but then going back and doing the same experiments and creating this monster. Right. So, so there really is like an actual meaty story being told there yeah. underneath this veneer of rolling around well, I guess I can say rolling in the hay comedy since that is a gag from the movie. Yeah. That was Gene Wilder, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he and plays he's, he's young Franks. He's too. also amazing in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a, he, he, oh, he was in uh, like, oh, there's this one movie I remember watching as a kid. I think it was called like See No Evil, Hear No Evil or something like that. Like one of the guys was blind and one of the guys was deaf and they like solved this crime together. And I don't think that they were cops or anything. They were just two buddies that got into some some sort of crime thing anyways yeah his comedy was pretty good back in the day yeah I, I will gene say wilder that. was fantastic he was but he also me, he also has man he was just so talented because he also has the flair to be an incredible dramatic actor oh he was in willy wonka Wasn't i mean he? yeah willy wonka is one of those movies that as much as i like it probably gets a little bit too much credit like historically like i don't <laughs> I don't know necessarily that it's one of those movies that, you know, needs to define cinema and all that like people treat it as. But I don't it, think it needed it. It is very good. It is, I'd say it's even great. It's, it's in the hall of great movies. But there is that sort of final climactic scene, and it's Gene Wilder and the kid, and Gene is screaming at him saying, you get nothing, you lose, oh, yeah. get out. Like it's like that. a silent track, too. Like, there's no music. Yeah. It's like just the power of the words. And, and Gene Wilder clearly has that in him to be that kind of dramatic actor yeah. where he can bring gravity into a scene. There's even a scene in Blazing Saddles where he is talking to the new sheriff of Rockridge. Uh-huh. Ha ha ha. And he's explaining how he fell from grace because he had been this great shooter and and it's a funny scene like it's hilarious it's filled with jokes but the way he acts it out like you feel real sympathy for that character in that moment because his dramatic acting and his storytelling and his ability to be that character is just 
otherworldly. Yeah. I mean, that guy is incredible. If there was an actor hall of fame, uh, he'd be in it. I don't know. Is there an actor hall of fame? Maybe our producer can look that up for us. Yeah. Or maybe we can send that one to Dutch, wherever he is today. Golden Globes? No. No? (laughs) I mean, if anything, it would be the Oscars. The Oscars. That's what I meant. There's been... Okay, let me put it to you this way. Nicolas Cage has an Oscar. Oh, okay. don't diss my man, Nick Cage. I love every movie he's in. It's... So you've seen The Wicker Man? Oh, I haven't actually seen that one. Okay. Of all well, the movies I haven't seen. I'm not trying I watch to... a lot of his movies. I'm not every trying movie... to ruin your love affair with Nick Cage, but yeah. if you see The Wicker Man, it might be over between you two. Yeah, it's maybe. It's pretty awful. Well, every movie I have seen of him, I have thoroughly enjoyed. And don't get me wrong... I do not think he is the greatest actor. No. But I still enjoy watching just the character that he plays go through those things. I don't know what it is. I just, I can't help but enjoy it. Face Off is phenomenal. Here's what I love about Face Off. John Travolta is doing such, he's doing so much work. He's working so hard to be Nick Cage. He is acting out. He's going over the top. (laughs) He's doing Nick Cage's mannerisms. Nick Cage tries not at all to be John Travolta. Well. So it's John Travolta doing Nick Cage and then Nick Cage doing himself. Exactly. For two hours. Well, I guess you could say that Nick Cage just kind of has one persona in all his acting. Yeah. I don't know if you could really see I a even whole saw, lot of... Okay, so there's even a movie where he's supposed to be this, like, Middle Ages knight called Season of the Witch. Oh, And he's God. supposed oh, to be yeah. this, like, embattled English noble knight. So and, but he's just Nicolas Cage in a suit of armor with long hair. I gotta see that. And I think oh, they actually, they plucked this guy out of a show called Boardwalk Empire that was popular at the time mm-hmm. to also be in that movie. So there's someone in that movie doing a Chicago accent. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be like Bohemia, Europe, Middle uh-huh. Ages, right? They're all knights <laughs> and peasants and stuff. See, I would love that movie. Just hearing you describe it, I'm like, I would enjoy well, that. Because sometimes... So let me get this straight. I describe right. that movie and you're like, oh, I'm all about it. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. I do my best to describe to you Lincoln and you're like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, maybe I'll see it. I don't get you sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes you want to watch a bad movie for that reason. Okay, bad movies. Okay. Uh, I have I, I'm gonna bring it up. The movie Rubber. Oh yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah. Look, I mean, look up what the look up the um synopsis just, yeah, of the movie. The I'm gonna synopsis, have you read it, Nate. Find the movie cover. It's just and if you're watching this from home, it is just such a strange thing. Like, that was one movie that I, I heard about it, and I was still doing FM radio at the time. So the the team I was on, right, all the DJs, we got together and we were like, oh, we're all going to watch this really terrible movie, Rubber, yeah. and then we're going to talk about it on the air. Yeah. Okay. And so. we went into it with all this energy because it's like, we're going to watch this this modern camp movie yeah but then the movie itself just ended up being so bad it is bad okay. that we were disappointed even in its level of campiness yeah. and we didn't end up exactly. doing anything with it, it it's because it tried to be that all right nate read us the rubber this. 2010 a homicidal car tire discovering it has destructive psionic power sets its sights on a desert town once a mysterious woman becomes its obsession so that's that's the one-liner description. So to be clear, this is a movie about a killer car tire with psionic yeah. powers. <laughs> okay, now, oh let my me God. pose you this question. Yeah. Chris, you're uh-huh. a director. You have an unlimited budget. Ooh. 
A studio okay. comes to you and says, remake Rubber. Oh. Who's your lead actor? Nick Cage. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You had to ask. I might go with Shia LaBeouf. Really? I mean, if we're going to lean into it, oh, then let's really lean into it. That's... That's or fair. let's oh, yeah. get Nicolas Cage and Shia LaBeouf. Both. And let's put we can them together. It. We have an unlimited... Exactly. It's an unlimited budget. Yeah. And let's do the hard work of doing some backstory on the tire. Oh. Maybe the tire is possessed by an evil demon. Oh. No, that's that's too Or maybe legit. the spirit of a psychopath killer enters this tire somehow. He died in a car wreck. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, got this. Like actual story. Yeah. To this movie would be yeah. great. <laughs> now I kind of want to do it. I we almost. Can't. I wish. You know, there's been so many. I times. have a spare tire that we could roll around <laughs> and film. We could do this. Now I'm more. really glad you brought that up uh-huh. because, as I understand it, you have a history of making movies. <laughs> oh no! Don't you, Rex? Uh-oh. I do. I do have a history. So go ahead and pick your favorite one. Pick your biggest blockbuster hit. I did not say. know this. And uh, just go ahead and give us the quick version. Oh, man. Yeah, so I did have... I, I do have a little bit of a, of a side hobby of making terrible short films. Um, we did one... The first one we did, actually, the very first one, is the only one that actually was more than, like, five minutes long. Um, we filmed a horror movie uh, in a warehouse that I used to work at. And I think the whole thing ran 35 minutes or so. And we, so it was me, my brother, and uh, my brother-in-law, and a couple of coworkers. And between like the five of us, we made probably the worst scary movie you, you could think of. Um, and it, well, to be frank, Rubber is the worst scary movie I can think of. So it, yeah, it's worse. Oh. It's bad. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's five amateurs. One night we shot the whole thing in one night, and uh, and if you can believe it, I was the buff military guy in the in the movie. Uh, no special effects, I'm assuming. I have it on this computer right here. We can watch it later. Oh it's yes, like thirty minutes. That's All happening. Right. All right, yeah. <laughs> that is happening. And then I did another one where we it was called sad thanksgiving and it starred my another brother-in-law of mine and we got and we filmed this whole thing during a thanksgiving dinner like two three years ago maybe more and uh basically it was i think a 10 minute five to ten minute video of him not being invited to the family dinner and then deciding to go or he was told that there wasn't going to be a family dinner. And then he decides, well, I'm just going to walk over there and see my mom anyway. He gets there, and the whole family is having dinner without him. Like, they, they intentionally excluded him from dinner. And the last shot is him standing outside the window looking in and crying. We put some water on his face and got a close-up. It was pretty good. That's amazing. So the guy who loves movies that are all about making this world that you you could see yourself in <laughs> makes some of the saddest, most awful movies yeah. imaginable. I don't have a budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello sponsors. But you know, neither did the Blair witch project and people loved that movie. Yeah. Well, but that was still bad. Nor did paranormal activity. They had, they had that was one good. day. 
That's true. And, yeah, that's and true. a better camera than I had. Yeah. And probably a better crew. Yeah. And probably better special effects. Paranormal yeah. activity. And they was probably went to school for it. Much better. Yeah, they, they might They have. weren't just off the street amateurs. They were probably in school. It was probably like a college project. Yeah. That went viral. Anyways. Did you see Paranormal Activity? Um, no, I don't think I saw that one. All right. I, I am kind of into that stuff. Like, The Exorcism of Emily Rose is oh, one of my favorites. That, that yeah. one was pretty good. I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we don't at least take some time here at the end to try to give our perspective as Christians into this whole world of entertainment and movies, uh, movies and TV shows. I think that there's this um, stigma with movies that are uh, have bad language or have gore or have horror that those things can really affect your psyche. And as Christians, that, that can be kind of scary to put that kind of stuff in your mind. Now, I am not taking the stance that I disagree with that. I, I think that there is truth to that. There is definitely places that my mind goes because of my history with what I've seen, what I've watched, what I've put in myself. That whole you are what you eat kind of thing does definitely fall into play here. What are you, I want to know what you guys think in regards to this topic. Do you think that you are like at risk of harming your Christian walk or are you at risk of maybe even by talking about these things harming somebody else's walk? Well, Charles is going to think about it because he has probably the better answer. But there's um, no such thing as a better uh, answer, just uh, yeah, a different fair. answer. Um so my perspective is that there are certain things that that uh people of faith should not watch at all and those should be pretty obvious. Um but uh, other well, than that... I'm, I'm actually going to ask you to be specific if you well, can. Well, so with that, I mean, I would say anything that's pornographic, anything that's... Um, I mean, that's the gist of it, and, you know, kind of other things that are related to that, other flavors of that. Um, I I don't see a problem with gore and violence uh, language necessarily, although gore and violence, if it's taken to an extreme and done in a purposefully realistic way that's bad too. Like I wouldn't, you know, it's so like the movie saw. Yeah. Well, but the original saw wasn't actually all that gory. No. Okay. I, I mean, I don't think I've never seen um, any of the sequels, so it might've gotten a lot worse, but it uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. Or like human centipede. Uh, no, that's, that's a negative. <laughs> okay. I mean my, so, but what I was going to say on that is just like moderation and knowing yourself is kind of important. Like if you, if you, you know, in your faith and in your walk, know that you are specifically susceptible to some thing, some type of thing, some kind of content that draws you astray, you should probably avoid that for your own, you know, your own good. But, um, you know, just know yourself and know, know what entertains you versus what kind of makes you go astray. That's good. I don't know why you thought Chuck would have a better answer. For me, it's, it's about what, informs you and what forms you if there is some media product that is informing you about the world let's say and i'm going to use this example just because i've seen it play out in the lives of so many young people 
if their minds and their spirits are being informed about sex or male-female relations or human life and its value, if they're being informed about those foundational, crucial things more by the music that they're listening to or the TV that they're watching or the movies that they're watching, and you know for a fact that the information, the picture they're getting is contrary to our Christian understanding of those things, right? That is, that is a flashpoint. That's a moment to step in. I do think that, yes, there are music and movies, all forms of media. Um, there are works that just are of no value to the Christian listener, watcher, reader, uh, etc., they will contribute nothing positive to your spiritual formation, to your understanding of the world. They don't, they don't even tell you a story well enough that they're worthy of your time. But does that mean I rule out everything that is above a PG rating? Well, not necessarily, right? Earlier I said I think The Sopranos is one of the best made TV shows of all time. I'll stand by that. Now I'll also affirm that there are several scenes that you'd probably rather not watch. But it does such an amazing job of telling these stories that as a piece of art, it's worth your time. If it is not the forming, informing influence on your mind and your spirit telling you how the world works and how you should act. Now, I, I brought up young people and I don't mean to single them out, but I think we would all agree, just based on experience, that when we're younger, we're much easier to form right they're called the formative years for a reason um, and therefore we have to be a lot more careful i think about what their young minds and spirits are digesting i guess there is as arrogant and pompous as this is about to sound there is a mature maturity that comes with age and experience that allows you to discern better um, what is useful and what is not when it comes to art, there probably is a tipping point of irreverence or, or graphic content where something is no longer useful. But the difficulty is in finding it. And as Christians, we're not the only ones who have a difficulty doing that. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court once actually heard a case on pornography because they were deciding whether or not it should be illegal to make if it violated decency laws. And the famous line that came down from the court was, I can't define what it is, but I know it when I see it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they didn't consider actual porn <laughs> to be illegal because they're making more of it now than has ever been made in the history of humankind. Man, this is, it's almost difficult to know where to start and where to go here because it's its such a big question. its its It's almost asking, how do we handle art unto itself and with that come so many other questions about at what level should we participate right. in making and viewing and supporting art obviously this is one of those things that that almost like paul had to address in scripture when it came to eating meat sacrificed to idols which is a really uh stereotypical cliche kind of verse that people will go to when trying to address this question where people are going to have to rely on their conscience and where we're not we are called to not be legalistic in this way, where if someone watches something we wouldn't necessarily watch that we all of a sudden stop doing life with them right. or we decide not to do business with them. 
Uh, believe it or not, that actually happened to me once. Yeah. Someone found out I was really into Metallica and said, well, then you're not worthy to teach my family. You are not worthy to teach my kids. We don't want you as our pastor, as our teacher, mm-hmm. because you like music that's loud and goes fast. Which, by the way, I don't like all music that's loud and goes fast. A lot of it sucks. <laughs> but Metallica's <laughs> really good. how you good. really feel. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know where to go. Um, I'll say that if there is art out there that you just don't you just don't feel in your conscience you can digest, then, then don't. Then don't see it. Don't listen to it. But if you encounter another Christian who has innocently enough gone to watch it and has found something they can appreciate in it, don't lock them out of your life just because you guys disagree about, about what's good, valid art, and what isn't. Um, to be honest, when I think about art and I think about the way Christians interact with it, at least what appears to be the trend right now, I begin to become kind of afraid that we are cloistering ourselves behind these walls of, of acceptability. I don't know why there's a reason why companies like VidAngel or PureFlix necessarily have to exist. And they exist only because there is so much distrust of the media-making world that's already here. So we decided to make our own. Yeah. But I don't know that the stuff we're making is, is even all that good. If the only media that we will find to be acceptable is media that's made by our brothers and sisters, for our brothers and sisters. I just don't know that that is an acceptable ethic for how we appreciate art. I would never tell a Christian to go against their conscience for the sake of digesting some piece of art that I think is good or that is outside of their sphere. If, if they legitimately feel like, no, I just really don't think a Christian should go watch Joker, I don't think it would be good for my soul, I would never lean on someone to go see it anyway. No. Yeah. But I also would tell them, listen, you are surrounded by people who appreciate different art than you do. And it's only going to do damage to you and your soul if you wall yourself off from them and only hang out with other people who exclusively watch movies on Pure Flix and VidAngel. Mm-hmm. Again, that, that cloistering freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. And and I just don't I just don't know if that's the direction we're supposed to go. If you're an art creator, if you really feel like God has called you to make movies that he's given you the talent to take something out of that realm of imagination and put it into pictures and make it move and make it good and tell a story using all of the different moving parts that go into to developing a a, a movie, then bro, just go make good movies. <laughs> Like that, I think we could take the same ethic of work that we apply to so many other professions, right? Like if there was someone who came to me and they said, well, I really feel called to go be a doctor. I'm not going to tell them, well, then all your clients have to be Christians. And your practice has to minister exclusively to the needs of the Christian world. No I'd way. say God has called you to be a doctor. Go be the best freaking doctor you can be mm-hmm. and charge a fair price. Why don't we say the same thing to art creators? Right. Go be the best art creator you can be. Charge a fair price for your work. Do your absolute best if you really believe this is the thing God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. But no, instead we sort of put this extra yoke on them where it has to be made exclusively for our audience. Mm -hmm. And it has to follow certain doctrinal theological lines. 
Like, there's this huge, and it only exists online, which probably just exacerbates the problem because the internet's a terrible place, even yes. though we exist on it in this show. True. There's this huge debate <laughs> if Lauren Daigle is a real Christian because she went on the Ellen show and because her second album, or her second big album, for some people, doesn't mention Jesus enough. Hmm. And that blows me away. This is yeah. a Christian artist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But... She felt like God called her to make music. She felt like God gave her this amazing voice, and indeed he did. And she does her absolute best to make music that's engaging and fun to listen to, but that also tells stories about the kind of God that God is, that he's Mm. this God who rescues people from the darkness, that he's this God who is in search of man and in search of people to save. But because the name Jesus isn't mentioned enough in enough of the songs, or because she is elbow to elbow with Ellen on TV, or because she's at such and such award show, or because her shoulders show in this dress that she wore, for some reason there's this argument about whether or not she's a legit Christian because Mm -hmm. she doesn't exist within the tight, tall walls of this cloistered little world that Christians, for some reason, sometimes seem to want to live in when it comes to their art. Right, and that's not good for anybody. I think we'll get into more of that when we do an episode on music because we we will. Yeah, sure. And we'll get into... there's, There's so much going on, I think, behind the scenes with music in particular, the music industry, the Christian music industry and how Mm -hmm. it's kind of controlled um and we'll talk about it yes we Um, will so for tonight i think we can wrap up with that we're a little over an hour into this discussion uh thanks everyone for hanging in there with us i hope we haven't only on episode three like alienated half of our audience we probably did our favorite movies and stuff uh hang with us long enough and we will also insult your favorite bands and tv shows uh all of that later to come but again thank you for listening and uh, we hope to have you back